millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. U.S. number 31 calling McMurdo. Urgent. Come in. Over. Who is he? He's Norwegian. Seems like they were spending a lot of their time in a little place northeast of their camp at five or six miles. How many in their party? They started with ten. There'd be eight others left. We ought to just burn these things. Can't burn the find of the century. That's going to win somebody the Nobel Prize. Somebody in this camp ain't what he appears to be. Right now, that may be one or two of us. By spring, it could be all of us. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. Fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I'm your host, Armand Haddad. This season, we're exploring the cinematic adaptations of beloved stories. Today, we're exploring the 1982 film by John Carpenter, The Thing. But before we stumble upon an ancient secret in the Antarctic tundra, I am joined by a special guest. Doug Levinson. Currently, Doug is a talented screenwriter and most recently penned the horror screenplay Ave Santanas. But beyond his film writing career, you can find Doug on his Twitch channel, wow underscore it's a pop tart, playing horror titles, among other things. Doug Levinson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello. So it's a pop tart. So what's the origin story behind your Twitch channel's screen name? Oh, my God. That's a great story. So I was actually at home here in my room, and I was playing video games with one of my best friends, Gary, and his roommate literally came in while gaming. And I was like, yeah, I need a new Twitch. I need a new uh, 
gamer name because I was going to start streaming. And I was having a Pop-Tart at the time. And I was like, I literally said, <laughs> wow, it's a Pop-Tart. <laughs> and both of them heard that. And they're like, noted. I mean, I'm, I'm going to spoil this part, too. I was a little stoned. <laughs> I had I had so I had some things in my system and his roommate Ben and Carrie were like, yeah, I bet you you won't change your name to wow, it's a pop tart. And I did it. And that's literally the origin story of my name. Wow. <laughs> and behold. It's a pop tart. <laughs> You know, I was for for a while. I was like, "What is the story behind the screen name?" But you know, sometimes it's not complicated. Sometimes it's simple as you're eating a pop tart, you're playing some games, and then you know it just stuck. Yeah, and your friends just go, "Yeah, but you won't change it to that." Because yeah, it used to be Hellfire Wasp, and I was like, "Yeah, that would be a bad Twitch name." No way. A little cringy. A little, little cringy. cringy. Yeah, <laughs> it was from my earlier days, and that was actually inspired by the movie Avatar. By James Cameron. Nice. And speaking of being stoned, I noticed in your thesis for the Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash wow underscore it's a pop tart, that your bio says you play games stoned. Yes. So I personally partake in edibles, marijuana, cannabis, whatever you want to call it. And I've played video games once under the influence. <laughs> and let me tell you, definitely sucks you in. I was playing uh, Wolfenstein. And <laughs> I felt that I was in the alternate reality of fighting the Nazis in the 1960s. It was insane. So what is it like for you to not only play game stone, but also, you know, do it with an audience watching you? Well, <laughs> it's, it's a little chaotic sometimes. I'm going to admit, being stoned, playing games, and being on Twitch at the same time, Sometimes there's a little bit of there's there's an area where it's just like, all right, either I'll get too focused with chat or too focused in the game. And I'll and I'll basically almost end up ignoring the latter for a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bad thing for me at times. But lately, I actually have been playing games sober, too. Mm. And I've noticed that my gameplay is not not any better. So. <laughs> <laughs> So at nice, least I have nice. that going for me to where like my gameplay doesn't deteriorate. But yeah, I'm I'm with you though. It does get me sucked in more to the story, especially if I'm playing like a story game. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to take this for example. I played Alien on Tuesday nights for about three to four months. It yeah. took me that long to beat that game. And I was like, wow. And I was pretty much stoned for like <laughs> each and every night that I, uh, that I played that game. Yeah. And it, it actually like heightened my senses. Like for me personally, Alien 1979 is my favorite movie of all time. And oh, the wow. xenomorphs, I've had nightmares about xenomorphs before and they terrify me. And yeah, stoned on Twitch, <laughs> playing Alien Isolation has literally taken the years off my life. But Jeez. <laughs> it was an overall, it was a great experience that I would never trade for the world. Nice. And those are available on replay, right? Yes. Channel? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They should. Yeah. All of them should be available on replay. I saved all of them because it took me a while to beat the game, but there are some <laughs> very entertaining scares in there because nice. that's one thing I have with my Twitch channel is like scares with each mm -hmm. game, a unique scare. And so I had like the alien isolation screech and I had like people like <laughs> simulate like the alien coming out of the vent and, you know, <laughs> You're stoned, you're freaked out, you're talking with chat, yeah. you're playing the game, you're so immersed, and all of a sudden you just hear that boom, boom, 
and you're like, oh my God, where's the alien? And you're like <laughs> looking around everywhere and you're like, oh, you guys are just messing with me. Right. Yeah, I can I can imagine how entertaining that would be watching you just freak out uh, as you think a xenomorph is trying to eat you. So please check out Doug on his Twitch channel, wow underscore it's a Pop-Tart. And speaking of being scared, I find it kind of ironic since you're a horror screenplay uh, writer and yet you're afraid of these horror games that you play. So your horror screenplay that you just wrote, Ave Santanas, that I had the privilege of being a part of your table read on Twitch. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for inviting me. And I will say, because you sent me the script when I invited you onto this show, and I read it, and I was completely enamored. I was like, this is really good. Thank you. This is very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Could you tell our listeners more about what this film is going to be all about? Yeah. So I'll give them the log line. So obviously, Thomas is about a suburban family that is targeted by a cult that worships the Church of Satan, and they are hellbent on resurrecting their dark lord himself. However, they will soon learn that this household will retaliate more fiercely than anyone could imagine. Nice, nice. Yeah, because when I read your screenplay, I knew nothing of the story. You didn't give me like a heads up, like here's like the overall <laughs> plot. Like I just went in blind and it started off like, you know, it's like a nice suburban fan. I thought it was going to be like a rom-com. And then <laughs> the killing started happening. I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> this is crazy. So I would describe it as like the purge meets hereditary. So you got the purge where there's this group targeting this kind of like an attack on base situation where they're defending their home. And then it's later revealed in the story that it's a satanic cult trying to resurrect the dark one. Yes. When you compared obviously Satanas to like the purge meets hereditary, I was like super honored and I never thought of that before either. So I I got a lot of credit to think to you. I was like, oh, maybe I can lean into these themes just a little bit more. So I do appreciate those very kind words. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But hey, like I'm just I'm just calling a spade a spade. I see it how it is. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this screenplay coming to life on the screen. So do you have any updates in regards to pre-production? with this story um not yet i have started it myself so i'll be independently producing this film along with a startup production company called cake and batter which is co-owned by one of my good friends from college this project actually started in college i just i just really wanted to write a home invasion movie because i mean i've seen plenty of like home invasion movies and like one thing for me that i like to include in my screenplays is I like to try to make things as realistic as possible. So it kind of plays into like, you know, like what happens if this happened in the real world and what happens if the family that they encountered, they're intelligent. And mm. I'm not, 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 I'm not trying to, you know, crap on other horror movies for being unintelligent. <laughs> but that's just something that's important for me in my writing and for the style of movies that I want to make. A lot of the inspiration for the Swanson family, which is the suburban family, actually came from my own family a little bit. So, really, 
yeah yeah and <laughs> in the screenplay itself i loosely based like the house like off of like the same interior as my own home right it was a very intricate house when i was reading it i'm like okay foyer exterior kitchen bedroom i'm like this sounds like a real house because you could have been vague about like they go upstairs to the room yeah they're in the room but like you get like intricate like oh these home invaders are coming through the roof they're like blowing away the the windows to get in like it's all choreographed in a certain way and yeah and that's something that like you usually don't get in a screenplay too is choreography and you know i felt like i could get away with that just because i knew i've i've known from the start that i like I wanted to direct this film. It just took me a while to actually, you know, like be like, yeah, no, I really want to direct this film now. And then that's when my, uh, my friend reached out to me and he was like, yeah, you remember that project you pitched me in business of screenwriting? I want to make that. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And then that's when he was like, you can make it as it is, or you can make changes here by notes. And yeah, that was one of the things that I did with the table read was to know like what areas I can enhance and what areas mm-hmm. I can, you know, just cut out because I mean, screenplays are always constantly evolving. It's rare that you don't get any changes going into production. Right. There's always rewrites going on before in pre-production and even on set at times. Yeah. Cause I don't know if you see any like those scripts to screenplay on Instagram, but yeah, you'll notice sometimes mm-hmm. that things just don't match up. That's because. Yeah. Things are always evolving. Yeah, I definitely noticed that with like the side by side stuff where the script doesn't match one hundred percent. Yeah. And that's why like films are a collaborative process, you know. Everybody has a little bit of a, a say in some stuff and can affect changes in the script for for better. Yeah. And you have a, a good team with uh, cake and batter. Yes, they're amazing people over there. They're putting up together their own little crew here in Chicago. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out. And hopefully one day when that is all said and done, we could talk about your film on here. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I would say there hasn't been a, a good home invasion movie in a while. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, speaking of home invasion movies, like Panic Room was like one of like the inspirations for oh. this. If you kind of didn't get like the reference, kind of uh, when I made like a Panic Room door, like literally like in this in, in the basement. Yeah, that was kind mm-hmm. of inspired by the Panic Room movie. Because yeah, when I was in college, I was just watching a ton of horror movies, <laughs> and that was like nice. one of the many inspirations for Avistanas. Sweet, sweet. Well, that's a good, uh, that's a good inspiration to have because that was a great film. Speaking of home invasion, we're talking about an Attack on Base movie, which is, you know, Ooh, cousin yeah. of Home Invasion. So we're talking about The Thing by John Carpenter from 1982. So, Doug, since this was your recommendation, how did you first encounter The Thing? I don't, rem- I don't really remember what first introduced me to the movie i'm pretty sure it was probably like a film class or something like that whether if it was in high school or it was in my really early years of college so i just watched the thing in preparation for this episode and for me i don't know why i haven't encountered the thing in my life because like i'm a huge horror fan as you are and more importantly i'm a big john carpenter fan oh yeah 
Halloween is definitely my favorite horror movie of all time. And in the original Halloween, there's a cutaway shot to the little boy watching the TV. And on the TV, it says, The Thing. Really? Yes. I did not know that. that yes. Oh my God, I'm going to have to rewatch Halloween now. Yeah, it shows the title card for The Thing from Another World in 1951. So it's kind of like teasing what is to come or what John Carpenter really wanted to do. Because I think John Carpenter got big because of Halloween. That was the late 70s. The Thing came out in 1982. Yeah. It came out right after Alien. And it started, it kept, basically, those movies like kicked off like a craze for like 80s sci fi and horror. Oh, so. yeah. I would say the 80s is like perfect for science fiction and horror. And. I would say a lot of it goes to the production with the special effects yes. being practical effects. Like you really see the visceral energy with these aliens and these uh, special gore effects on screen and it just feels real when you it, watch it. I, yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. That's probably one of my favorite things about the thing is the production value that was put into it. The practical effects. Yeah, like people get messed up in this movie. And I'm really surprised of the creature effects because the the book that it's based upon, Who Goes There, by John W. Campbell, like with his book, it's more Lovecraftian where it's like left to the imagination with like, oh, it's a creature of unimaginable uh, features. But in the thing that John Carpenter has it, he doesn't like shy away from showing the monster. He definitely shows the monster and it's the most horrifying images that you can ever think of. Agreed. Like even like even to this day, yeah, those the images of the thing, they're just they're frightening. They're they're yeah. so scary. And the themes of the film definitely hit a little closer to home being 2020 and 2021. But the theme of isolation. Yes. That was definitely a thought that crossed my mind when I was mm-hmm. re-watching these movies and watching everyone freak out because someone suggested them to go into, like, everyone to go into isolation. And I was yes. like, like, for me, per- for me personally, it's like, yeah, that's the, that's the thing that makes sense. But mm-hmm. you have, in the 1982 film, you have so many, it's, it's an all-male cast in that mm. to where nobody trusts each other and no one's going to, no one wants to isolate. No one wants right. to quarantine with one another. They don't trust each other. Yeah, it's kind of like this macho machismo, like, like I don't need to isolate. You don't tell me what to do. I'm fine. Yep. Which kind of reflects uh, the American society. Yeah. So before we go any further into the thing, Doug, since this is your first time on the show, it's time for some elevator pitches. Please stand clear of the closing door. So, for those that don't know, when you're selling a movie to a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So here on Syndicate today, we're going to simulate that by putting 60 seconds on the clock, and you are going to pitch me the movie, summarize the entire movie of The Thing within 60 seconds while avoiding major spoilers. Doug, are you ready? Uh, No, but I'll try my best. (laughs) We're going to start the elevator pitch in three, two, one, go. So the thing is a science fiction horror film that's basically about a, 
a group of Americans in Antarctica, they're researchers, and basically they encounter an alien uh, that wakes up from the depths of Antarctica and basically, oh my God, is this getting into spoiler territory? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but basically, the this group, uh, oh, this this alien, it's not really a spoiler. <laughs> this, this alien can imitate other, basically imitate any other beings it sees in front mm-hmm. of it. Uh, it can get its hands on. So basically, this forces this group of researchers to not trust each other because they don't know who's an alien or not. Wow. You just crossed the finish line with one second to spare. I didn't want to. I didn't know if that was getting into too much spoilers, <laughs> but you know, it's like part of the story. You like, you know, had to yeah. know the alien, and I can imitate other organisms. Right. So let's get into that. So the inciting incident for the 1982 film is that they're at a base in Antarctica, and this helicopter is chasing a dog. Yes. And it's shooting at a dog and throwing grenades at a dog, trying to kill this dog. And I'm watching it. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why are they trying to kill this dog? That's like, that's like rule number one that you don't do in a movie. Harm yeah. a dog. What kind of movie are you watching, Doug? So anyways. <laughs> so the helicopter lands at this base that's full of Americans. And this guy is not American. I think he's Swedish. Yeah. And he's trying to shoot the dog. He fails. Ends up shooting... Not mortally wounding one of our one of our protagonists, but just harming him, which then causes the base to fire back and ultimately kill him. Yep. So that sets up the entire movie for the thing, and this alien mimics its prey, kind of like a parasite. Yeah, it mimics its cells, basically. Yeah, from a cellular level that it transforms into this Lovecraftian monster. So what was interesting with the 1982 film, okay, for this episode, I read the book that's based upon Who Goes There, Mm -hmm. which was written in the 30s. And then there was a 1950s adaptation, which is a very famous one. And then Mm -hmm. from there, John Carpenter was like, let me reimagine this. Let me adapt it for modern audiences. And I think he did a fantastic job. I think he did an amazing job, especially especially with the alien, because I think yes. the alien from like the book and the other ones were not the same. We're not the same alien. So here's the thing. The 1950s movie and the 1982 movie are both faithful to the source material of the original story, because with the thing in 1982... And mm-hmm. the original book, the monster is actually very similar. Oh, okay. The 1950s movie is actually very different. Gotcha. With the 1950s movie, like, it's the same from the book where it's like, oh, there's this monster. We need to research it, not kill it. It's an intelligent being from another world. But the monster is kind of a man in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the actor that played Jaws in the James Bond movies. So it's like this really oh. big, lurchy looking guy. Gotcha. So they didn't really get into like the invasion of the body snatchers type thing where it's like, 
this like body horror stuff. And it's probably the limitations of the time. And also they probably don't want to freak anybody out in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Let's get out of this theater. <laughs> you saw how they all reacted with war of the worlds. So. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my God. There's aliens from Mars. We have to go. <laughs> Come on, honey. Into the bomb shelter. It's not Russians. It's aliens. God, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but what's interesting with the thing is that, so the inciting incident of the 1950s movie is that they discover this downed alien spacecraft, this team, and then, then they recover the alien body, and then it comes to life because it melts out of the ice, and then it's like they have to defend the base, and then with... John Carpenter's thing, he not only took that idea, but elevated the idea even further because it felt like almost a sequel. I was going to say, the thing from another world, you basically just described the 2011 film. Yes. So I was going to ask you about that because I heard it was a prequel to the 1982 movie. So as the story progresses with John Carpenter's The Thing, you discover that something has gone terribly wrong at this other base on Antarctica. And that was the base that discovered the alien spacecraft in the ice. And also the original people that discovered the alien body and then had to defend their, their own base from said alien. And Kurt Russell and team go to investigate and they see the aftermath. And it's beautifully done. It's visually told to the audience. Oh, You're yeah. filling in the gaps. And that was probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie was them going through the wreckage. Great imagery. Yeah, I agree. So is the 2011 film pretty much the first act of the thing where they see the destroyed base? Does that answer those questions of what happened? Yes, yes. It's basically of what happened to that base. I did read into it a little bit, and they tried matching everything up as closely as they possibly could to the 1982 film, so they could directly lead up into that. So I was watching that, and I was like, obviously the 2011 thing is probably going to tread these waters and like explain what happened. And a part of me is like, do we need that? Do we need everything explained to us? And then on the other hand, It'd be cool to see that, you know, it's like, yeah. oh man, this is what happened. And then maybe at the end of the 2011 film, if I was directing, I would be like, okay, now we need like, quote, Kurt Russell to come to the base at the very <laughs> end of the movie. So then people would be like, I know who that is. That would have been a superb idea. They should have done that. They didn't do that. I mean, come on. That's like, if you're going to do that, have it end where like the other team is like walking in yeah. and maybe like, see their boots or. Well, they literally do end the thing 2011 with the with the helicopter chase, chasing oh, the okay. dog, like literally okay. the events of starting that chase. Like, I don't know if you knew about this, but the original director, they were talking about like doing a remake. And he his comment was literally like, that's like painting like a mustache over like a Picasso painting or something like that. <laughs> well, at least that director knows and respects the 1982 yeah. version for what it is, a horror masterpiece. Right. I do I do respect that because like we get a lot of unnecessary reboots. We yes. get a lot of unnecessary remakes. 
And I'm glad you cleared the air and said that 2011 was not just like a cash grab reboot, but it was actually, they're trying to do something different with it. So. Yeah. And with John Carpenter, like, you could say that it was a remake, but he definitely takes it to another level. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And I would say this is probably one of the first instances of a soft reboot. I don't know if you're familiar with that terminology, Doug. Yes, I am. So let me explain it to the audience. So a soft reboot, a good example is Star Wars The Force Awakens. So in all intents and purposes, Star Wars The Force Awakens is episode seven. It is a sequel to the movies from the 80s. However, it's a soft reboot because structurally, it is almost the same movie beat for beat as the original Star Wars movie in 1977. So while it's different set pieces, different actors, um, different events. Structurally, it's the same movie. Yeah. It's a reboot, but also at the same time, it's a sequel. Yeah. And I felt like the thing from 1982 arguably might be one of the first ones ever to do that because like, it is definitely a reboot of the 1950s movie, but at the same time, it's almost a sequel because like, I watched the 1950s one and then all the events there are kind of hinted at in this movie, in like the first act, as they're uncovering what happened to this other team when they discovered an ancient relic. But anyway, speaking of that ancient evil, in all movies, a team of researchers stumble upon a crashed alien ship that has been encased in the Antarctic ice for over 100,000 years. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Doug, but I believe in aliens. Oh, I believe in aliens, too. Yes, 100%. (laughs) So do you think that an event like this is probable for Earth? I think it could be because, I mean, we still have not full, like, we still have not fully discovered, like, the depths of the ocean. Like, and I'm pretty sure we have not discovered, like, everything on Antarctica as well. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think something, I mean, like, especially with like global warming, like I think something could potentially be un- uncovered in Antarctica that's very old. That would be very unfortunate for us. So, Doug, let me hit you with this. <laughs> so you probably heard about the UFOs that were confirmed in the New York Times in 2017. Yep. The Tic Tac, the Nimitz encounter of these 
objects that don't have any source of propulsion doing impossible maneuvers circling around our fighter jets like it like they're toys and it kind of makes me think because like they came from the ocean so this encounter happened off the coast of San Diego i think possibly the events of the thing are going to happen right now are you prepared for a parasitic invasion doug no <laughs> Absolutely not. At least you're being honest about it. I like I have like a apocalypse bag for if like zombies <laughs> or like the human race just wants to go into a Mad Max style dystopian future. But yeah, I have yeah, no preparation for a parasitic invasion. <laughs> nope. All right. We're being tongue in cheek, but yeah, that would be very horrifying if that, that were would, to happen. Yes. That that would be terrifying. Yeah, and we would probably stand very little chance, just like the characters in the thing. So the theme of isolating ourselves with the threat of this parasitic menace, it's very interesting because watching it with our pandemic worldview right now, I was like, huh, this is kind of an allegory of viruses. Yeah. You have this alien thing that we've never encountered. Our immune system doesn't know anything about it. And it like feeds upon us. And then we don't know we have it until it's too late. Yeah. Until the parasite just takes over and then boom, we're no longer us. We're the, we're literally the thing and it's trying to survive. (laughs) Right. And there's a scene in the thing that really hallmarks this idea, which is, this alien threat has been very elusive. Our main character is Kurt Russell. They can't track it down. And so they resort to tying everybody to chairs and testing their blood. Yes. So that scene for me, it's like Kurt Russell is at the point to where he doesn't trust anybody anymore. And, you know, he's doing what he believes is necessary. Isolate whoever the creature has basically assimilated. Yeah, he starts doing it one by one. And I think he started with his, himself first. When he tested himself first, I was like, okay, yeah, he's testing himself first to make sure he's not it first. Which, I mean, to me, makes the most sense of, you know, I would test myself first to make sure that I wasn't an alien. But yeah, basically, yeah, they go one by one. And like the paranoia and chaos just pretty much ensues from there. Earlier in the film, it's discovered that... While this creature can survive in the cold, it cannot survive in the heat, specifically when it's on fire. So they use flamethrowers to kill anything that the thing has morphed into or infected. Yeah. That includes the the original dog from the beginning of the movie. That was kind of like patient zero. And then whatever crewmates from there have been affected, they've been torching them or burning their bodies to destroy all the cells of this alien host he's using a flamethrower to heat up a metal poker and he's putting them into these petri dishes full of you know each individual's blood yeah and having that adverse reaction to heat so if there's alien cells in the in the blood of whoever is being infected it's going to defend itself yeah it's going to like come to life like like, yeah pop out of the petri dish yeah (laughs) so (laughs) one of the guys was infected yeah they torched him i think subsequently after that they discovered somebody else was infected as well and that just led to just chaos 
all around. At that point, they they tested everyone but one person, and the one person they did not test. So going back to the isolation theme, everyone isolated themselves to their own quarters, and there was the doctor character. Yes, yes. They they pushed him into a tool shed, and you totally forget about him throughout the whole entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just he's just there. He's just there. He's asking like, "Please, can I come back in?" And they just close the door and they're like, "No, can't come back." So they go to test him because he's the one variable that they don't know about, and he is gone. Very much gone. He's disappeared. They're like, well, obviously something, something's going on. I'm pretty sure they found that he burrowed into the ice and he started building yes. a ship to escape. Yes, which is a callback to both the book and the 1950s Ooh. movie. What's interesting about this alien is that it's both intelligent and kind of like a xenomorph where it's like an animal. Yeah, it's doing what it takes to survive to get out and right. it wants to leave Antarctica. It can't it can't stay there. Yeah. It it knows that it's it's gonna die there. Exactly. Um, so with the book and the original nineteen fifties movie, the alien is portrayed as like a Martian, where it's like his ship crash lands, they thaw him out accidentally, and then he's trying to get home. And I thought with John Carpenter, because the cold open for the movie is, it shows the ship crashing to Earth. Yes. So I was thinking, obviously, I think John Carpenter is going to reframe the whole idea of the thing by having it be like an alien ship was infected and they lost control and they crash land on Earth. Yeah, I've read that theory around the internet a little bit. But having that scene where this alien is trying to build the ship, kind of like a smaller version of the larger space cruiser that crashed, makes me think like, okay, obviously this is like the same story where it's like an intelligent creature, but also the creature just so happens to have the ability to be a parasite and like latch onto whatever living creature and then use their body to basically do its will. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. For me, thinking back onto that scene now, that's like a moment of like, okay, this thing is not just trying to flee. It's sentient. It's more knowledgeable than that. And it really wants to leave this whole movie. This thing, the, this thing is trying to deceive everyone to just blend in. It literally, it usually yes. just attacks to either assimilate somebody or to defend mm-hmm. itself. Exactly. I was thinking like, okay, it's trying to leave Earth, but that wouldn't go well with the whole parasite theme. So obviously, they were trying to leave into a more populated area to convert the world to be like it. But yeah, with that spaceship, though, it's, it does bring up a good question of was it really trying to do that to the world or is it just trying to go home? It's hard to show that alien's point of view <laughs> because, I mean... Like, it doesn't have, like, a single, like, form, which is one thing that I absolutely love about this film. Like, the shroud of mystery of mm-hmm. what really is the thing. And for me, what really is the thing is is that it doesn't necessarily need to have just stay in one body its whole entire life. 
Right, because the alien so far, what we see on screen is always a distortion of whatever it's hosting because it's explained in the movie it's trying to mimic, but it's not exactly correct. It's it's kind of like the uncanny valley effect where it's like, that's not a dog. That's not a human. Yeah, but that's something where like the 2011 film really builds well off of because in the 2011 film, it won't mimic molars or anything metal. And that's something that oh. they discovered was, what's your name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. like the She's in that movie? She's the lead actress. What? She's Kate Lloyd. Get which out. was Which was inspired by Ellen Ripley, might I add. So badass Ramona Flowers. Pretty much. And she discovers, awesome. she discovers pretty quickly that a set of molars on the ground that are metal. So she's like, okay, it can't mimic any any molars. So that was one way that they were checking. They were checking inside of mouths for molars. And that's how they would know at least some of them were not infected if they still had those molars, which I thought was very interesting, at least to me. Even if things as subtly as earrings and stuff like that. It flips a feature on one of its characters that Kate Lloyd eventually notices. And... I was like, oh, damn. I'm like, this thing's not perfect. This thing's going to can, can get shit wrong. <laughs> so cycling back to the 1982 film. Yeah, it's some of it's uh, when it was trying to assimilate. Some of it wasn't perfect. I mean, it, w- it would struggle sometimes. Well, you definitely convinced me to watch the 2011 one because I want to know more. Like, that seems so interesting. I enjoy it for what it is. But I mean, the 1982 film blows it out of the water. I would say for a modern audience, like if you want to see like the origins of the thing, sounds like I would recommend the 2011 one over the 1950s one. Personally, I didn't mind the 1950s one. I see old Doctor Who episodes. Yeah, I see old Twilight Zone episodes of Rod Sterling. I don't mind watching a good black and white TV show. I'm with you there. <laughs> But for modern audiences, the the you know the acting might be a little wooden. Like, oh my, we found a alien body in the tundra. <laughs> we must investigate this. Oh, honey, get me some uh, food while I do this. That's right, toots. <laughs> Those are the 1950 films. I mean, that's why I like actually like watching like older films <laughs> is quite enjoyable sometimes, especially if you're still. <laughs> it's just. Because, like, you can watch it, like, superficially, like, what the heck are they wearing? (laughs) Why are they putting on this fake theater accent? It's like, it's such an insane time for movies because, like, it was such a new medium and they're pretty much adapting theater performance onto the screen. And you can tell by the cinematography because it's so flat. It's like, boom. It's like... (laughs) No depth of field at all. No bokeh. It's just like everything is like in focus, static shots. And the way they perform is like like a theater, like they're performing to an audience instead of like having it be more natural. So before we go into our final segment, I do want to drop some info on you, Doug, because I want to know what you think about this. Yeah. So a remake of The Thing was announced last year. What? You're kidding me. I'm not kidding. Oh, my God. 
remake is a thing who's who's so okay so questions tell me all about it well it's an early development with blumhouse wow and john carpenter you know what i think i remember hearing about this now very briefly because it's coming off the coattails of the halloween quote reboot sequel soft reboot type thing that john carpenter decided to do where he was like all the other sequels to halloween don't matter I'm making the second Halloween now. <laughs> this ain't, this ain't going to become a Halloween sequel thing. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about them remaking that. I, I almost kind of want them to not. Because especially like if we're going to compare like John Car- Carpenter doing his continuation off of his first movie. Like I liked the newer Halloween movie, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary for me to personally watch. Because I mean, Halloween is probably... One of the best horror movies of all time. And yeah, it's spun off a ton of sequels. I'm going to be honest, some of them good. Some of them not so good, but they're still (laughs) films and you still got to love them. But I think remaking the thing, I think it's a mistake. I think you should just leave classics as they are. Right. And with the thing, like it happened, it was great. But unfortunately, not everything is seen as sacred with Hollywood executives. So it's coming, whether we like it or not. But the thing is, with the original book that's based upon who goes there, it inspired so many other things like the thing. Invasion of the Body Snatchers being one of them. Huge influence. Like You can do a similar story. But you don't have to have the IP of The Thing to sell your movie. Just do an original movie. Yeah. If they wanted to do like a continuation or like like another soft reboot, I could maybe get on board with that. Because it's like they're not trying to like redo the whole entire thing. They're not trying to right. give, us, give it to us brand new again. Like mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure if they just if they did The Thing, like literally just did like almost like a shot for shot remake, same characters. McCready's back, you know, just like casted by somebody else. I think a lot of people would get upset about that. Right. And this leads into the ending of the thing, which I do want to touch upon because it's kind of ambiguous what happens at the end of the movie. Yes. So throughout this entire movie, they're defending their scientific base against the alien. Shit hits the fan and they're just left in utter ruins. The base is destroyed. So we're left with Kurt Russell, who is McCready, and then Keith David, who plays Childs. So these are the sole survivors of this conflict, this movie. And it's left ambiguous because is the alien destroyed? Did they kill the monster by torching their entire base? Or is the monster inhabited by one of the characters? And most importantly, did our two protagonists even survive? Once we went fade to black and credits yeah. rolled. So I think with this thing, reboot, soft reboot, potentially, I think the smartest decision would be they do a soft reboot and they have Kurt Russell come back or Keith David come back as like an older version of these characters. I'm actually intrigued. Because upon my research, I did a little bit of research today on the thing. They came out with a video game that dealt with the events right after the thing 1982. Right. Among Us. 
<laughs> Among Us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. It actually came out on the PS2, and I oh. guess it was kind of received relatively okay. And I know the sequel was canceled. But yeah, like apparently, like it dealt with the events right after. I'd be interested in seeing what happened after the events of that movie if one of them was infected. They end up sharing a drink together at the end. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. who's infected. If Kurt, if Kurt Russell's character was infected or Keith David's, they're, they're basically both going to be infected now. Right. I'm glad you, you picked up on that. So as a filmmaker, and I've been involved with a few productions as well, everything that's in the camera, everything that's on set is deliberate. Yes. And with the thing... John Carpenter definitely highlights that they're drinking out of the same liquor bottle since the beginning of the movie. Oh, are they all infected? Oh, I dude, I did not know that. I actually did not pick up on that, that that's the same liquor bottle throughout the whole entire movie. It's the same exact liquor bottle. And it's kind of like framed too. Like you see the same label. It's the same liquor bottle. So oh, I never and put when, that together. Wow. Yeah, and and when Keith David's character drinks out of the bottle, that's when the the thing theme song kicks in and then it's fade to black into credits. And from there, I was like, oh, he just got infected if he were to drink out of that bottle. But that's just how I'm interpreting it. Well, yeah, because the, yeah, the thing has a, has a distinct score to it yes. whenever, whenever it comes on screen. And which, which you get a little bit in the 2011 film as well. But yeah, I mean, for me, that's that's a cue right there that he is infected. Just, be, just because of the of the cues of the music yeah. going with that bottle, thinking back to it. That's, I mean, I think that's evidence enough to where Child's character is infected. But the real question is, did Kurt Russell survive? One, another infected person, and two, the Antarctic winter or the Antarctic night, which yeah. goes like a hundred below zero. Which at that point, I'm pretty sure, like his character, it, he's, he cycles back to like all we can do is like wait now, right? And which was done like during the middle of the film. I feel like that circles back to all we can do is just wait now to see if one of us is infected. I mean, from my point of view. They're both screwed at that point. They're both going to die. So right. at this point, they're just waiting out death. So here's another movie pitch for this sequel remake that we're going to get. So it takes place after John Carpenter's movie. So say Kurt Russell died and Childs died too, or Child's body is preserved and a new team maybe going there to see what exactly happened. And then the whole story happens all over again. They, they like unfreeze uh, either Kurt Russell or Childs. Yes. And basically it comes back alive. God. Maybe they bring it back to the United States or, you know, I mean, if you're going to do another sequel, you might as well up the ante and like raise the stakes. Yeah. And going back to that, like, announcement of like a soft reboot yeah get it get it out of antarctica we've seen what two movies in a game now set in antarctica yeah it's about yeah. time to you know maybe like up like you said up the ante and 
take it out of Antarctica. Let's take it to the real world. Well, whenever that movie comes out, I would love to have you back on so we can either I'll, praise it or rip it apart. I'll, I'll watch it regardless. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm sure I'll enjoy it for what it is as a big yes. movie. Yes. Kind exactly. of like how I am like towards the alien movies. Yeah. There's definitely the better ones and then the ones that are like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's hope it doesn't fall underneath that yeah category. And let's hope it <laughs> let's hope it you know like falls up somewhere up top. Because I mean, Blumhouse is a powerhouse in the horror industry. They yes, create some fantastic horror films and some fantastic non-horror films too. Usually they create some really good content from horror movies. And I heard that they were fast tracking it which kind of made me concerned a little bit. Because usually when you try to fast track movies as quickly as possible, I feel like the quality drops. You shouldn't have to, and I feel like you shouldn't have to rush development. Like, like yes, like say like, okay, you got like six months to develop this, this movie, which is plenty enough time for professional screenwriters, by the way. Like yeah. way more time that they need. But right. I mean, at least that gives them the chance though to like hopefully like, I'm just going to put this bluntly, not screw it up. Yeah. I'd say for their route, taking their time would be the best route possible. I agree. Like, similar thing happened with The Force Awakens. Not to make another Star Wars reference, but I think that movie was fast-tracked too. Like, they had a deadline to meet, and the original screenwriter, Brad Bird, and also the director... He wanted years to develop this story and to be immersed in the world of Star Wars. And Lucasfilm said, no, we need this quicker than that. We'll have J.J. Abrams do it. And the rest is history. Yeah, I, did, I actually didn't know about that Brad Bird part. You learn something new every day in the film industry, do, I swear. Do, do. <laughs> the more you know. Before we close the show... What we'd like to do on Syndicate is called The One Reason Why. So I'm going to ask you, Doug, what is the one reason you'll give somebody to watch The Thing? For the production value alone. The monster of The Thing, even though it was done in the 80s, it's so well done. Like, it, it's even better that well done than the 2011 one where they ended up using CGI. Like, mm. like comparing those two movies, I recommend The Thing 1982 because literally not only the characters are better, but the creature design, the creature effects. Right. Everything about it is just, it's so well done and it's terrifying. It holds up to this day of terrifying people. And it terrified me. Yeah, I mean, with my fresh eyes watching this, I was shocked by the production value. I was shocked by the creature effects that it looks as visceral and real as it does, but also it's actually terrifying because throughout this entire film, you don't know who has been infected. It's kind of like this invisible enemy that they're fighting. And when the enemy does manifest itself, it's this nightmarish creature. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So apparently this critical reception of this movie was not good when it first came out. Like critics like, like hammed it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I just thought that that was something interesting that I read because I was like, wow, it's such a, everyone talks about it so highly nowadays to think about that it was not received very well during its time. Yeah, a lot of movies that are taking risks that are revolutionary in some way, shape, or form, it's going to ruffle some feathers and it's not going to sit well with the establishment. And you could see this time and time again, like people not liking movies. And then over time, it garners the true audience that it did deserve at the time yep. when it came out. Yep. Like an, an example of that is Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. That is a good example. Very good example. Yeah because it completely bombed in the box office. And yet, 10 years on, it has this huge following, and everybody loves it. Yeah, everybody loves it. Oh, yeah. Agreed. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Thing by John Carpenter. Please check it out where it is available. And now I would like to take a moment to thank my guest, Doug, for coming on to the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it's an honor. I always love talking movies. So. <laughs> yeah, talking movies and also talking about your future films that I'm very excited to come out. Yeah, this this was a lot of fun. And Doug, you are welcome back anytime. I, I will come back at any time. Just say the word and I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to see more of Doug, you can check him out on his Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash wow underscore it's pop tarts for more video game fun. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate, that is C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E, Syndicate, on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Have questions or film recommendations? Please email us at info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. 
Goodbye. Bye.